0: According to a classic sketch by Rowan Atkinson and Richard Curtis, does anyone know the secret of good comedy? And the answer is timing. Um, But to make the joke funny, the answer has to be given in such a way that it interrupts me while I'm asking the question, which is why comedy doesn't work very well on Zoom even if you did know what was coming up. But it's dramatic timing, not comic timing, that we see in the passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at today. So we're in John chapter 8. We're following on from where David King got us to last week. So we're going to be reading from verse 12. John chapter 8, I'm reading from verse 12 down to verse 20. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I'm coming from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one, but if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it's written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. At the end of the passage, there's a reference um, to the Lord's timing. It says that his hour had not yet come. And that's a theme that we see throughout John's Gospel. I think John's Gospel, um, more than any of the others, in fact, maybe even uniquely, um, refers a lot to the timing of things in the life of the Lord Jesus and how nothing happened before the appointed time. God was always in control. But we're not just talking about the timing of big events uh, in the life of the Lord, like his crucifixion. Jesus also used timing to very dramatic effect in his teaching. And I'd like to dip back just briefly into chapter seven to look at one example of that before we look at the one in the passage that we've got today. So we know that the events of Chapter 7 are all focused on uh, the Festival of Tabernacles, don't we? It was one of the biggest festivals every year in the Jewish calendar. It was was a huge party over a period of seven days. It was a celebration of both the Harvest, which is why it was also known as the Festival of Ingathering or the, the, the Harvest Festival, and it was also a celebration of how god had provided for their ancestors when they were being led through the wilderness when they came out of egypt when they lived in tents or tabernacles as they're also called that's why it was called the festival of tabernacles and over time like in all religions various traditions and ceremonies had been incorporated into the festival and one of them was called the Pouring Out of Water Ceremony. And what happened was, the high priest would take water from the Pool of Siloam, um, water which you might remember was thought to have special life-giving um, properties, and he would lead a procession through the streets of Jerusalem. And they would go through what was known as the Water Gate, and then into the temple were in front of an eager crowd, he would pour out the water onto the altar and he would then pray for the new rains which were needed after the harvest to soften the ground ready for the new planting and that was an important ceremony to them because water was absolutely vital to their their, uh, well-being and, of course, the economics of the country, just like it is for any country, I think, in the world, um, even today. So, if you just use your imaginations for a moment, you can see the High Priest holding up high the, uh, the, the, um, the picture of living water, so to speak, and he's ready to pour it out, and the crowd goes silent before what would normally be a roar of approval when they saw the water being poured out. By the way, we, we know all this from, from Jewish literature, old Jewish literature from, um, which dates right back to the same period of, of the Gospels. So the crowd goes silent and on this occasion, in chapter seven, Matthew, a silence is broken in all probability, right at that moment by a loud voice. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Earlier in that chapter, we saw that Jesus had told his brothers that he wasn't going to the festival because his time had not yet fully come. And those words can also be translated to mean it wasn't the opportune time. And I think that it helps explain why he then went a little later because he didn't change his mind. He just didn't want to go too early in the seven day festival. He wanted to avoid attemp- attention until his best opportunity on the last day of the feast an opportunity to deliver his teaching in the most dramatic way he was the only one who could give them the real living water and they weren't going to forget that lesson in a hurry i wanted to dip back into chapter seven because it helps show how jesus used timing to highlight the significance of various aspects of his teaching. And I think he does it again here in chapter eight, when he says that he is the light of the world. Because once again, the place and the time where he said it, I don't think it was an accident. Verse 12, again of chapter eight, we read, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. A little bit of background again. Every night of the festival, there was another ceremony, um, which had become part of the Festival of Tabernacles. And it was known as the illumination of the temple. It took place in what was known as the Court of the Women. Now, just remember that that name. I'm going to come back to that. And there in the Court of the Women, there were four great torches, um, poles or columns, with huge bowls of oil at the top. And they reckon these bowls of oil each held about 65 kilos of oil. And these four torches, when they were lit, every night at the festival, filled the temple with light. And it allowed the celebrations to go on into the early hours of the um, of the morning. I imagine these great torches were intended to symbolise the Shekinah glory, the shining out of God's glory on earth. Why was this part of the Festival of Tabernacles? Well. Firstly, it was a reminder of how God had led the people through the wilderness with a pillar of cloud by day, which, if you remember, looked like fire at night. But secondly, just as the water pouring ceremony also pointed forward to God's provision in the future, so the burning torches were also looking forward because they were a reminder to the Jews of the Messiah that God had promised, um, which for many Jews, as far as they were concerned, was still some way off in the future. Malachi chapter four says, uh, God says, for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And in Luke chapter one, um, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, he prophesied, didn't he saying, the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come, to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Do you remember where Jesus was um, in the passage that we read? We saw it right at the end, didn't we, in verse, uh, verse 20. He spoke these words while preaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put see this is part of the reason why i'm saying that this this was no accident the the importance of jesus was when he said these words is something that has been inserted by john into the text he wants us to know where jesus was he was in the treasury the place where people dropped their money into the offering jars a part of the temple complex which was also known as the court of the women. So he was right there, wasn't he? The one who revealed God's glory was standing beside those great torches which merely symbolized the shining of God's glory. And when was Jesus saying these things? Well, I think it was either the night of the last day of the festival, because as we were thinking last week, we can't be sure that the bit about the passage about the uh, woman caught in adultery and also verse 53 that goes before it, we, we can't be sure um, where all of that happened. Um, that's, we, we know it's not in the oldest manuscripts. It's believed to be a true story. Um, but it's found in different parts of John and also in Luke and verse 53 is part of that. So we can't be sure that 50, verse 53 that says they all went home actually belongs there. So this occasion, these words that Jesus was saying, it was, it was, um, it was either on the same day as the water festival or it was the next day after the festival had ended, in which case the torches would probably be just smoldering um, because they would have gone out from the night before. But whether they were burning or not doesn't matter. The time and the place was perfect. Jesus presented himself as the true Shekinah glory, the light that shines far brighter than any man-made symbol, and the light that would never go out. And again, I think the impact of what he he said was enhanced all the more because of the festival. with the thoughts of the Jews focused on how the column of cloud and fire had both led them and protected them. You remember in Exodus 14, it says that the cloud prevented the Egyptians from attacking them. So it led them and protected them. And Jesus, in a sense, was saying, I am the Shekinah glory who led you in the wilderness. And it was me who kept you safe. You followed me then, so follow me now. Whoever follows Jesus will never walk in darkness. Have you ever tried to walk in complete darkness? We used to get a lot of power cuts at our house, and when that happened at night, um, I would have to try and find my way downstairs to the mains box, Um, to reset all the trip switches. And in complete darkness, the smallest of things can be a significant obstacle. The end of the bed, um, a pair of Angela's shoes that she's left out, finding the latch on the bedroom door, um, and all that before I've even tried to get down the stairs. Uh, So I always keep a torch by the bed now, just just, just in case. But we live in a world of spiritual darkness, A world of economic and health uncertainty, never more so than than the period that we're going through now, I think. It's a world of sin. It's a world with challenges and and difficulties, which is so much worse when we don't follow the light. The light which gives perspective. The light which gives hope. The light which guides us through the obstacles of life. And Jesus is our light, isn't he? But you notice that Jesus doesn't say that whoever believes in me will never walk in darkness. He says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. And it was the same in the wilderness. God's provision was dependent on their following. It was dependent on their obedience. That applied to all God's commands, of course, but the way they followed the cloud is, is a good example. If, um, if, if you have a look back at Numbers, 19, Numbers chapter 9, I'm not going to go there now, but if you have a look at Numbers 9, it says that whether the cloud stayed still for just a night or if it was there for a whole year, they didn't budge an inch until it moved on. When the cloud moved, they moved. And then he followed it wherever it went. The point here is simply to say that to know the light of life in our own experience, to know God's help and guidance in all the challenges that we might face, we have to subject ourselves to God's word. Psalm 119 um, verse 105 says that your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path but we have to do what it says, don't we? If we want that light in our own individual journeys. So Jesus had something to say to all of us who follow him, but he also had something to say to those who reject him. And I don't want to say a lot about that this week, because we've already seen a lot of it already in chapter seven, and we'll be seeing more of the disputes um, next week as we go on through chapter eight. Perhaps it's just worth mentioning, though, that in the context of what we've been thinking about, the light of God will always cause division. In Exodus 14, that I mentioned before, uh, the pillar of cloud that came between the Israelites and the Egyptians, it says that the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other. We see that division throughout the Gospels. Many believed, but there were many hard-hearted opponents who just continued to reject and challenge Jesus, as we saw um, just in part of the passage that we read today. But as Jesus said in verse 15, they were judging by human standards. They weren't seeking truth because they'd already made their minds up. When we come to God's word, we have to come with open minds, We have to come with a belief that God is speaking to us through his word. And we have to come with a willingness to do what God says. That's how we walk in the light. Because despite the presence of the light, if we don't believe and subject ourselves to God's word, we're left in darkness, just like the Egyptians were. But there's a a, a wonderful extra thing here in the passage because if we follow the lights as jesus said not only do we never walk in darkness ourselves but we can also be a source of light to others jesus said that his followers would have the light of life and i think that's more than just being able to walk in the light. it's about possessing the light it's about becoming light Ephesians 5 and 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. And in Matthew 5, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So the two things I'd like you to remember mostly from um, my little talk today are, number one, the light. We may face all kinds of hardships and difficulties in this world from time to time. And who knows what impact COVID-19 might have on our way of life going forward. But we have the light of life. And if we walk in that light, If we truly follow Jesus, subjecting ourselves to to his word, to God's word, that light will give us all the guidance and hope that we need to keep the trials of this life in perspective. So light is the first thing I'd like you to remember. Uh, And secondly, timing. As we thought in the words of our opening hymn, our times are in God's hands. And his timing and control is perfect, even during this period of global crisis. He may not always deliver us from these or any other difficulties that we might face when we want him to, but he always has a purpose and he will help us to get through the most um difficult of experiences won't he that was a psalmist experience even though i w- walk through the valley of the shadow of death he will help us through every difficulty and he will deliver us in the end